one minute early. <laughs> it's, it's still not 8.30. <laughs> I'm telling the ladies, they quit playing a minute early. Got me down to the back of the church. Well, good morning. It is good to see you. I want to welcome you to First Baptist Church. And if you'll notice in the worship guide, there's a couple of announcements. Ladies, tonight there's an event with the WMU. We'd love to have you be a part of that. And you can see it. It's in the fellowship hall. Uh, also, deacon reserve list. We have some men who were previously ordained in other churches who need to be elected to the deacon reserve list. And then also four people who are deacon coming on as deacon apprentices, if you approve it. So they're being suggested to you. You can read about that. Um, the health clinic um, that Mark and the students are doing. And then the water filters um, for Ecuador. There is an Ecuador meeting tonight at 5, uh, five o'clock up in um, the big room. It's not the Douglas class anymore. They're somewhere else. But B213, Tim likes numbers. So B213. But we hope that you'll be a part of that. We're glad that you're here. You can see those announcements and places you can be involved. Why don't you stand up and greet one another. Thank you for being here today. How are you? Thank you. Thank you. Hey. Well, I appreciate it. We are glad that you're here, and if you're a guest and would like some information about our church, um, two ways you can do it. There's a card in the pew, but also on the very back page, there's a QR code. You can scan that, and we'll get you the information that you're interested in. Either way, if you don't know what that is, just pull the card out and fill that out, but if you do, that's an easier way to get it. We're glad um, that this season, we're two Sundays away from Easter. I hope that you're inviting people. Um, Right now, they're ordered. We have some cards that you can invite some people. I thought they'd be in today, but they're not yet. And so we'll be um, sharing those and giving you a chance to invite people to be a part of our Easter services and hope that you're ready for that and be praying for that. Um, Easter is always the time for Annie Armstrong Easter offering. And, and so I just want you to look at the video and be reminded of why we give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. And then right after that, we'll have our scripture reading and our call to worship. Let's look at the video. Twenty twenty was it was um, it was a time that you can't forget. It was in the midst of the pandemic, and then George Floyd died. And we're in the Twin Cities, so it was like right here. We were meeting at the park, and so we, we would do these services, preach the gospel, and serve our neighbors, and, and give a picture of hope and unity where the gospel tears down these walls that separate us, because. There is a true melting pot in the Twin Cities. You have all these different languages and people groups within just even five, 10 miles. And so we planted the church and the church is called All People's Church. And All People's doesn't mean just ethnically, but it means generationally, it means socially. That was the heart of it. And being in the Twin Cities, being such a melting pot, it felt to me like that would be one of the most powerful apologetics to the world. The hardest thing is probably how slow life transformation takes. And so when people give, they give us church planters something that we really need, and that's time. Because life change is slow, especially if you're trying to um, plant a church where no foundation is laid, as Paul says in the end of Romans. It's slow work, and yet, there is no shortage of people who've joined our church and they're, they're, they're growing in their faith for the first time. And, and that's what's been going on. Someone encounters Jesus and then they go tell people, you know, come and see. And so after doing that for a handful of years in the Twin Cities, the, the world can look and see and say, wow, Jesus is real. And I just, I love that.
Today's scripture reading is 1 Chronicles 17, 16 through 24. <clears throat> when King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have bought, brought me thus, thus far? And this is a small thing in your eyes, O God. You have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come and have shown me future generations, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you for honoring your servant, for you know your servant? For your servant's sake, O Lord, and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness in making known all these great things. There is none like you, O Lord. There is no God besides you according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, Israel? The one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making for himself a name for the great and awesome things, and driving out nations before your people, whom you redeemed from Egypt. And you made your people Israel to be your people forever, and you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord, let the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house be established forever, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be established and magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, is Israel's God. And the house of the servant David will be established before you. This is the word of the Lord. Would you stand and join me for our call to worship? Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Join our voices as we sing, I stand amazed in the presence.
be seated. pray together. Would you join me? Our Father, we come before you and we do want to glorify your name. Your name's above every name. We praise you. We thank you that we can come and sing and worship you freely. We thank you for this beautiful place in which we get to worship. God, we remember all those who laid the foundation on which we stand. 
We thank you for their lives. And we thank you, Father, for your goodness and mercy to us today. I thank you for answered prayers. We thank you, Father, when you answer them and knowing that you always answer toward your glory. So we give you praise. We lift up those who are hurting. We pray, God, for those who are struggling in many different ways. We just pray, Father, that you would be with them, that you would be a real presence in their life. We pray for our world. We pray for those specifically impacted by storms recently. We pray for those who are still struggling to get over earthquakes. And God, we pray for those who have never heard the gospel. Even as we hear from some of our missionaries in, in the Twin Cities here in our own country, we're, we're reminded of the lostness that's around us. And God, I, I pray that, that we would not lose hope. That we would continue to lift up those who are lost in our families. God, we pray for those lost children, for lost parents, for lost relatives. We lift up our lost neighbors, our lost co-workers. God, we pray that you would give us compassion, that we might minister to them and we might share the gospel, that you might save them. Even as we studied Wednesday night, we're, we're not ashamed of the gospel, for it is your power to save everyone who believes the Jew to the Greek. And in that, your righteousness is revealed. So God, we pray for the lost. We pray for our prodigals. God, we pray that they would come home. That they would come to themselves and come back to you. And we pray, Father, when they come to this place, we would be like you and that we would welcome them with open arms. God, we lift up those in our church who are struggling in sin. Help us to be faithful to, to pray, but also to confront the sin. And God, we just ask that you would draw them back to yourself. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, for the practical words you gave James, your servant. And as we read them today, Lord, I pray that you would teach us and show us how we should live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to turn in James, James chapter 1. Our verses today are verses 9 through 12. We saw the introduction in verse 1 and then the command to count it all joy in verses 2 through 4. And then last week we, we saw the command to ask God for wisdom. And now we see a, a third command. Each of these little sections, it seems for now that James opens them with a command. So if you're able, I invite you to stand and honor the reading of God's word. Starting with verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. His flowers fall and his beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. I'm going to say this a lot as we begin in James. But one of the temptations we face when we study, especially a passage like this, specifically verse 12, is is that as we study it, we pull it outside the context and teach it. Just like last week with, with, um, with asking God for wisdom. We, we, we're tempted to just pull it out from the context and, and all that surrounds it and forget the context of the letter, to forget how this fits in with what James has been saying. What I want us to understand, especially all the way through this first section in chapter 1, is that it all comes under that Verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, 
when you meet trials of various kinds. He tells us why we should do that in verses 3 and 4. The testing of our faith produces endurance or steadfastness. Steadfastness makes us mature. It brings us to the point that we are perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So he says, consider it joy because this is what God does through the trials. Without the trials, we can't mature. Without those trials, we can't grow. But when the trials come, we count it as joy, not because we enjoy the trial, but because we see what God's doing it, what God's doing in it. Well, we have to ask ourselves over and over again, how do we get to that point? And he saw it, we saw it last week. We, we asked God for wisdom. That's how we get to the point that we consider it joy, count it joy when we're in trials. We, we ask God for the wisdom. You remember we said wisdom is, is, is the spirit-given ability to see life, see trials from God's point of view. So when we ask God for wisdom, he can show us what he's doing in the midst of the trial. And, 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 and then the trials can become a joyful thing. Only by the God's, God's gift of wisdom can, can we expect the things in which which we're told to do here to take place in our life, only by God's wisdom can we live in such an otherworldly way. This is outside of the way the world lives. But we're called to live differently. From these two things, count it joy and ask for wisdom. From these two things, we, we come to a third point in James' discourse on considering it all joy. And, and it's, it's all connected and the first thing he does is he, he gives us a visible illustration. A visible illustration. He shows us how this works. And what I want you to catch here and remember it for later is, is there's an issue to the people that James is writing. There's an issue that's going on. It's an issue that it's, a, it's an obvious issue in their life. And I say obvious because here he mentions poor and rich and he comes back to it again and again later in his letter. So there's something going on to the people that James is writing about. And, and, and there's an issue there. And you, he even talks about don't, don't give the rich man the great seat and, 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 and exclude the poor man. He, he says a lot of things in his letter about it. So there's an issue there. It is, it, it's, even in this short letter, it comes up several times. So we come to what one writer has called a, a riddle of sorts. It's probably better trans or seen as, as a paradox. When you look at it, I love what um, G.K. Chesterton says about a paradox. He said, a paradox is truth standing on its head shouting for attention. That's a good way of seeing what James is doing here. He, he's, he's taking something that, that um, these statements that, that go against, let's just be honest, what he says here goes against our culture. And specifically, it goes against the American mindset. But I've been around in different places in the world to know it's not just our culture that he's going against here. It's not just our mindset that he goes against. He's going against the human culture and the human mindset. What he says is revolutionary. Look at it in verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. That word lowly, and it's just, James, just leave that up there for a little while. That word lowly usually speaks of, of obviously someone who's low, but also someone who's humble or in humble circumstances. So low and humble and, and even unimportant in the world's eyes. Let the unimportant brother, let the lowly brother, let the brother in humble circumstances boast in his exaltation. Paul uses it in, in other letters to, to describe the downcast. And so as you look at this, this contrast that will follow us, that this, this, is, a, this is a poor person. And, and what he says about it in comparison to the rich people is, is it seems to be a socioeconomic description. This is not just a, a humble person. This is not just maybe a a person who's doing pretty good, but maybe lower on the chain. This is a person who's, who's, who's economically poor. And he's writing to them because he says he's a brother. Let the lowly brother. 
Notice that. He's, he's a Christian. That, let the lowly sister also, ladies. But he's, he's writing to us. Let the lowly brother. It, it's a follower of Jesus. And, and remember, he's writing to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. There's a good possibility that these people are poor because of their faith. Because they've been scattered. Because they've had to go and, and, and go to other places. Because of that, they're poor. I, I read a book last year. Um, I just lost the title of it. But it's about, a, about an Iranian refugee who came to the United States. And he was very wealthy. His family was wealthy. And then he came here, and they were living in poverty. It was just a whole story about his life as he tried to come out of that. And, 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 and so this, these are people who, who've been displaced. And as you think about this displacement, it's, it's brought problems to their life. It's brought economic ruin to their life. They're poor because of their faith. He's uprooted from his home. The New Testament, though, doesn't just speak of those who are poor because of that. It's, it speaks a lot about those who are poor. The gospel then and today is predominantly received by those who are poor, brothers and sisters. When we take the gospel to Asia or take the gospel to Africa or the gospel to Latin America, when we take the gospel to those places, it is most often received by those who are poor. As we think about that, we we see this this visual illustration of of a lowly brother who needs, and and literally commanded, we're going to see that's the second point, the command here is, is, is to boast. That's the command. It's written in an imperative. He, he says, let the lowly brother boast. Let him boast in his exaltation. Now that word boast, we, we're so used to reading Paul. In Paul's letters, boasting is almost always sinful. Unless you're boasting in the cross. So when we look at this and he tells us to boast, it, it kind of catches us off guard because we, we typically think of boasting as being something that is sinful, but, but boasting is, is, is a lot like trials. It, it, can, it can be boasting in the right thing, and it's a good thing. It can be boasting in the wrong thing, and it's sinful. Boasting in the cross is good. Boasting in, in our own works is, is not good. He tells us to boast. Let them boast. Let him look past his present circumstances and see the true wealth that comes from following Jesus. Let him boast in his exaltation. Let him look past the the socioeconomic poverty that he lives in. Let him look past that and look toward what he has in Christ. So James says, let the brother in his lowly position boast in his high position. That seems to be a paradox riddle. Let the brother in his lowly position boast in his high position. Let the wisdom of God in verse 5 open his eyes to the height to which he has reached as a child of God. I remember sitting on a corner in Mombasa, Kenya with an African pastor there, Kenyan pastor. And he was asking about how we handle the poor and how we take care. And I was telling about a welfare system and telling about how our poor have housing and other things. And he says, oh, I'm praying for our country to be prosperous like your country. And I said, be careful. And what do you mean? I said, be careful. Because with prosperity, you, you lose a hunger for Jesus. You have poverty, but there's a hunger for Christ. And he smiled real big. He says, I'm praying for prosperity with a hunger for Jesus. And I thought, we've never seen it in the world. Even in South Korea, where the gospel was so clear and so strong, and the prayer ministry was so, so vivid, the, the, the reports are, as they prosper, the, 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 the passion for Christ goes down. And so he says to him, he says, he says, Look with the wisdom of God and see the exaltation that you have. It's, it's a boasting, I think, that, that Paul describes for us in Romans 8, 17. And as children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided 
We suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That's what we boast in. We're heirs. And that is true whether you are a multi-billionaire or have no money in the bank. If you're a follower of Christ, you are an heir. Because of Jesus, we can rejoice in the hope of glory regardless of our circumstances. Not just economics, but in any area of life. It goes all the way back to verse 2. If we are in Christ, we have the hope of glory. Really what we find in this verse is what our Kent Hughes called a rich poor man. He's a rich poor man. But then we come to a poor rich man. That's also from our Kent in verse 10. And the rich, look at it in verse 10, in his humiliation. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and in the rich, and the rich in his humiliation. So there's a third thing here. It's a, it's a contrast. You have a visible illustration. You have a command, let the lowly brother boast. And then you have a contrast between the lowly brother and, and, and the rich. Look at it. And let the rich in his humiliation. I think James is speaking of, of, of two Christians here. There's some debate about that, but, but there's a lowly brother and then there's a rich brother. Paul talks about it in, in those who desire to be rich and those who are rich. And so they're, they're in the scriptures and we find them. There's a contrast here. He's, he's speaking of two different brothers, one who's poor and one who's rich. The, the poor man, James says, must look past his present circumstances and see his true wealth. He's got to look past where he is and see what he really has. But the rich brother must look past his present circumstances and see his spiritual poverty. Here's the thing. Both the rich and the poor must look beyond their circumstances. They both must see their spiritual need. But to get to their spiritual need, the poor brother and the rich brother must look at it from opposite directions. One's looking past his circumstances, seeing he's blessed. One's looking past his blessings, seeing his spiritual poverty, as in Matthew, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Think about it. If, if you come to a poor man, you, you don't have to convince a poor person of their need for Christ. You don't have to convince them of their need. They, they know they have needs, but when you get around those who are uber wealthy, you've got to work hard. The hard thing about a poor person is, is to show them the blessings that they have even in the midst of their circumstances. But the rich man is a harder case. Jesus said, remember, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven. That shocks our culture, and it shocked their culture, too. They said, then who can go to heaven? Remember what Jesus said? With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so when you look at this, the, the, the rich man doesn't see his need. The poor man sees his need. One Christian golfer, I remember reading, was talking about witnessing to another Christian golfer who was at the top of his game. I think it was Tiger, but I'm not sure. So please forgive me if it's not. And, but it was someone like Tiger Woods. And, and this golfer was an outspoken Christian, and he was witnessing to him. And as he shared about God, this professional golfer who was very wealthy looked at him and said, do you think I need God? It's an example of those. I... I, I, I drove Wednesday night down to St. Augustine with Kim to see her sister. It's not the best time to leave is on Wednesday night and then come back on Saturday to St. Augustine. But Friday afternoon, I was standing with my feet in the very cold Atlantic Ocean. Didn't get very far. But I looked around in these mansions along the, the water there. Huge. And I thank God for those because sometimes you get to stay in those places. But sometimes it's hard. To convince a person who has all of that, that professional golfer who flies in his private jet and goes from place to place, from house to house, it's hard to convince him that he has a need. 
Because any need that he wants, he just pays for. We all need God. And the difficulty is seeing beyond our circumstances, our need for God. The rich man has to see, he has to, he has to see that he has a need. Look, at, that's, that's verse 10, but verse 11 continues it. Because, and he, he's describing these wealth, this wealth. He says, because like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich men fade away in the midst of his pursuits. The temptation for the poor man is to keep his eyes on the circumstances and refuse to turn his eyes to Jesus. The temptation for the poor man is to, to kind of be like Job after he lost everything, just to sit in the pile of ashes and, and woe is me. But the temptation for the wealthy man is to refuse to look past his circumstances and see his need for Jesus. Again, they're just looking from different directions toward the need. The hardness of life for the economically poor can make one lose hope. The rich man gets his eyes off God and puts them on himself and thinks that he has no need. And the cure for that is to see wealth from a proper perspective. Not that I did it, but that God blessed me with it. It can be here, the wealth. Look at this verse. Everything we have can be here today and gone tomorrow. Think of the people who have lost it all, who had everything. Some of those pro athletes who, who thought those contracts would never stop. Multiple cars and multiple houses and don't have a penny to their name now. It can be here and it can be gone. No one is guaranteed tomorrow. We only have today. We cannot take our earthly wealth with us when we die, right? But we can send it ahead through serving Christ and worshiping Him. We can send those things ahead in terms of good works into heaven and heavenly reward. Remember Jesus' words. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I think it's the point that James is making. There's another thing, though. He gives us this visible illustration and, and a command for the lowly brother to, to exalt and, and a contrast for the rich brother. But then he gives us a reward. A reward. When we count it joy, like verse 2, there's a reward. And that reward is the wisdom of God allows us to see things through God's eyes. And we become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's 2 through 4. But there's a reward here for the rich and the poor. And that reward is found here in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. This reward is for those rich or poor who love God and obey God. God. Let's try to unpack this for a second, looking at these verses. When we look at verse 2 again, it says, count it all joy. But then you look at verse 12, and he said, blessed is the man. It's almost like bookends here. We, we're seeing the same thing. Count it all joy. Blessed is the man. And then he says, for the testing of our faith produces steadfastness in verse 2. But in verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials. He's putting this all together. In, in verses 2 and 3, the result of counting in all joy is that we're perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What is that? The, the result of that is verse 12, he will receive the crown of life. So the crown of life is perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We get to that point in heaven, but we can reach parts of that while we're here on earth. We, we walk with him and we live in him. The blessed life is, yes, it's a happy life. But the focus is not just on being happy. James is talking about, he's writing about true joy, deep joy, 
deep down in our soul, joy, not based on circumstances. It's based on, look at the end of that verse. It's based on a love relationship with God. When we love God, we will count it all joy because we trust God. And God gives us the wisdom to see it. And when we see it, then we can begin to look past our circumstances. And we know that's waiting for us is a crown of life. We, we have that kind of joy in him. And we can learn to trust in him in all things. I had a friend I was talking to. And he pointed out four things about this passage. And, and, and they're in your outline here. Let me just show you just quickly. Both the rich and the poor are tested. Both the rich and the poor are tested. Testing is for everyone. It's just different in how we're testing. You see that in verses 9 and 10. We, we see that it's for everyone. Look, look at it just real quickly. Um, verse 9, let the lowly brother, you see it again. Verse 10, let the rich brother. Secondly, we're blessed here on earth when we persevere. We're blessed here on earth. There's a blessing that comes because this is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. It's here on earth that you're blessed. Not just in a, in, in a life in the by and by. We're, we're blessed when we live this way here on earth, but, but not just here on earth. We're blessed in heaven when we persevere. We're blessed in heaven, not just blessed on earth, but, but the blessing in heaven. The, he will receive the crown of life. And finally, the strength to do all of this comes, everything you see in verses 2 through 12, the strength to do it comes from loving God. It all comes from loving God. When we love him, we, we have the ability to do these things. And so we're blessed. The rich and the poor are tested. We, we who are steadfast, we are blessed here on earth. We're blessed in heaven. And the strength to do it comes from loving God. Church, we, we've got to learn, when we look at James here, to evaluate ourselves spiritually and not materially. We ask, are, are you ready for the end of life? And most people will say, well, my, my 401k is, is not doing so good right now. Or my retirement is not. Okay, that's important. The closer I get to 65, the more important it becomes. I understand that. But that's not everything. We, we cannot evaluate ourselves materially. We We've got to learn to evaluate ourselves spiritually because Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus himself faced trial after trial and serves as an example for us. I would just encourage you, turn back, you're in James, but turn back two pages to Hebrews. We know chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 12. Look at how Jesus lived his life in the midst of trial. Verse 12, chapter 12, we'll just start with verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Run with endurance, that steadfastness we see in James. And here's, he says, here's how we do it. We run with endurance. Look at verse 2. Looking to Jesus... The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, joy, we're looking at joy for the blessing, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured the cross and the temptation and the trials of life for the joy that was set before him. And that's how we must live our lives. For the joy that is set before us in heaven, yes, but also on earth as we live in a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Jesus encountered the trials with joy because of the joy set before him. James is telling us the same thing. 
Consider it all joy. And he's walking us through it. He's showing us how to do it. The joy, the joy that we have, the trials that we face, the joy that is set before us. God's wisdom has a, has a way of looking back. It has a way of looking through the, the facade of wealth. His wisdom has a way of looking through the facade of wealth and the hopelessness of poverty. He does both. He looks through the facade of wealth and looks back through the hopelessness of poverty and he points us from the temporary to the finite. We move from the temporary beauty which perishes to to the infinite, the infinite God that we have. We look from from, from, the, from the finite to the eternal, we, we, we look toward the beauty of Christ. The, the poor can look at his financial trials and know that he's rich in Christ. The rich can look at his material blessings and glories and know that he is poor in the spirit. And both in God's wisdom can keep their eyes on eternity. They can both live that way. You see how James pulls it all together? Outside of Jesus, I think our great example of living the way that, that James describes here, outside of Jesus, our greatest example is the Apostle Paul. And what does Paul say to us in Philippians? I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and then later in chapter 4 he says not that I'm speaking of being in need for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content I know how to be brought low blessed is a lowly brother I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound he knows how to be poor and rich In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here it is. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Remember that context. It's not that I can run a home run, hit a home run, run a touchdown, and shoot a three-point shot. I can do all things with Christ means I can live the way God's called me to live no matter what the circumstances my heart is for all of us to learn the secret of contentment. Yeah, I wish we all had rich, plenty. But I also hope that we can realize that when we don't, we still are rich in Christ. It's possible through the wisdom of God that leads us to count it all joy when we face various trials to live this kind of life no matter what the circumstances. Amen? Let me ask you if you would bow your head for a moment. I think the, the danger when we talk about this is we live in a culture that we see those who are multi-billionaires and none of us think we're rich. We see those who, who fly around and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying they fly around in these huge jets and and, 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 and drive these fancy cars and live in multiple houses and we think well I'm not like that so I'm not rich but in the world's eyes everyone in this room is wealthy we're in the top percent of the world but I wonder from which end do you face it are you coming from your need or are you coming from your plenty and either way we need to see our need for Christ and to see the blessing that we have in to behold him, to be transformed by him from degree of glory to the next. So would you ask God for wisdom? Even as we did last week, would you ask God for the wisdom to count it all joy? And would you ask God for the wisdom to keep your eyes on the crown of life? At the end of Paul's life, he spoke of the crown of life and He said, he's pushing it all, he's doing it all for the crown of life. He said, which will be given to everyone who who, who lives, who who, who has this calling, who who has this desire. Those who are seeking Christ. 
The crown of life is for us. The crown of righteousness. God, I just pray that you'd speak to our hearts. We live in, in a county. We live in an area where we see both ends of the spectrum very clearly. In just a matter of miles. We can drive in one area and see wealth. We can drive it just a few miles and see people who are living without running water or electricity. We go into the schools and we see kids who, who have designer clothes and everything they've ever wanted. And yet we're faced with the reality that we have children in our own community who can't wait for school to start tomorrow because they didn't eat this weekend. And God, I pray that you would help us to to see that everything we have is a gift from you. And that we would look toward those who need and we would minister but that, God, we would do it because we love you. Help us understand that love relationship. Because from that relationship, all this flows. We love because you first loved us. Thank you for your love. God, I just lift this passage to you and ask, Father, that you'd speak to our hearts and help us to be obedient and whatever it is that you're calling us to do here. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing as we sing. I surrender all is for those who have nothing and those who have everything. Surrender it all to him. If you need to come forward, we're here to meet you. you'll stay and be a part of a Sunday school class. If you don't know where to go, Tim will be there in the foyer, and Ronnie and I will be at the doors. We'll be happy to help you. Or someone next to you can help you. Last week, I kept you about five minutes over, and this morning, I'm letting you out about five minutes early. I know I'm still in a big bank of debt, but um, but <laughs> just want to remind you, every now and then, I'll let you out early. Thank you for being here. Wednesday nights, right in here, we're studying the book of Romans. In chapter 1 right now, we'd love to have you be a part of that. Our, our choirs for children and, and missions are all going on during that time. And then our adult choir practice is right after. So we would love to have you a part. Don't forget, Easter's in two weeks. Invite somebody. Invite somebody back and invite somebody who hasn't been maybe ever to come and be a part of the services with you. Thank you for being here. God bless you.
Thank you, Ronnie. Thank you, John.